Morning, church. If you will, please turn to uh, Joshua chapter 3. We're going to be kind of going back and forth and, and covering really Joshua chapter 3 and 4 today. And um, of course, as Evan told you, Brother Bill couldn't be here today. And uh, um, I kind of have a story to start out with because it ties to Brother Bill again. It seems he continues to do things to me. And this time it was uh, during a sermon last week. And he talked about Murphy's Law. And, uh, you know, yesterday Murphy's Law hit me in, in some major ways. You know, you think you're going to get up on Saturday and it's going to be your nice, relaxing day. And then next thing you know, you find out that your, your dishwasher and your um, uh, washing machine are backing up into your house through your drain and your air conditioner. So, yeah, that was fun. And all I could do is sit there and smile and just think of Brother Bill's sermon. I was like, yep, Murphy's Law. That's going to hit today. And uh, so, yeah, that, that, was, that was my yesterday. That was, that was Saturday. And Brother Bill's been taking us through Exodus for the last several weeks now. And we're going to be in Joshua, which is, of course, after Exodus. So, spoiler alert, they, they get out of Egypt. I didn't know if any of y'all were waiting for that part, but sorry to tell y'all they're out of Egypt, and uh, we're going to fast forward uh, about 40 years, okay? So in Joshua chapter 4, now this, this or chapter 3, this chapter is just action-packed, and when I read this chapter, it's just, I find that the author of Joshua just has you on the edge of your seat, and you're just clenching your, your seat, just waiting with anticipation for what's to come. And there's a whole lot of back and forth, and, and so hopefully we'll work through that, and, you know, and, and it just plays out like, a, like, a, um, like a, just an action movie in my mind. And that's why I just love Joshua. Joshua is a, is a book about uh, God showing that he is faithful, it is a book that uh, you can get run down and, and kind of uh, uh, trudge, feel like you're trudging through a lot of, of information, but it's, it's a book that is focused on God showing how faithful he is and that there's lots and lots of land distribution, but that really just all points to to God delivering his promise, and that where he promised Abraham and he promised Moses of the, the promised land, and now we see in Joshua that he has fulfilled his promise, and the, his nation of Israel is actually where he has them. So let me go ahead and start reading, starting with verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Let me pray. Father, we just, Lord, we just, uh, just stand in awe of you. 
And I pray this morning as we read your word that, that we leave here seeing you, the, the miraculous being performed only by you, not losing sight of who we are in relationship with you, knowing that you act for your people in mighty ways, that you have done so and you will continue to do so. God, I pray that we will just read your text and you will just give us a spirit of revelation and understanding and that we will just come to know you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're at the point where they're fixing to cross over the Jordan River. Moses has just died. And now God has lifted Joshua up as the leader, unquestionable leader. And he actually, in chapter 1, God says over and over and over, be strong, have courage, for I am always with you. Have courage, be strong, for I am with you. I go before you. Have courage, be strong. He says this over and over and over. And so we find ourselves there at the Jordan River, and what does God tell them? He tells them that you're to take the Ark of the Covenant and pass before the people. And then when the people see me, then they are to walk behind it. But they have to stay a little more than a half a mile behind it. And whenever the priests come to the water, they're going to put their feet into the river. And they're going to stand there until I stop the river from flowing. And so what is the Ark of the Covenant? Why is that so significant? Why is it so important that God points out the fact that the Ark is to go before the people? The people are supposed to follow the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant is God's presence among his people. And God is showing them unquestionably that he is the one that's going to go before them, that he is going to lead them into this land, that he is going to stop the water from flowing, and that they are going to cross over on dry land. It is God, it is God, it is God who is going to do this, who has already accomplished it for him. He tells them prior to this that the people in this land have already been delivered to you. I have already accomplished the victory for you. You just have to be obedient and follow me. Right? And so over and over and over again, God is, is constantly telling his people, I have gone before you, and he is telling them, it is I him doing this. The whole affair is Yahweh's feet, and the Israelites, even though they're active, are primarily spectators in this whole event. I mean, can you imagine you imagine sitting there and then the presence of God walking before you and you getting to walk behind it. And you get to walk behind it in a way that's going to set you up. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking of, you know, he's not telling them, grab your lawn chairs and your popcorn, I'll fix them, put on a show. You know, he's saying, hey, stay behind me so that you can see what I'm about to do. I'm about to make this raging river stop flowing, and not just stop, but to build up in a heap for you to see. Why? So that you can be strong and you can have courage, so that you can know, again, that I have gone before you. 
So we have God's presence among his people. We have Israel's perception. Remember, that is, they're supposed to stay behind. They're supposed to look upon this from about a half a mile's distance so that they can see what God is about to do. But there's also an attitude, an attitude that he calls them to have, and he tells them, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves. What does that even look like? Consecration, by definition, in a general sense, the term consecration refers to the act of dedicating oneself to a specific purpose of intention. To consecrate yourself essentially means to wholly dedicate yourself to something of the greatest importance. I don't know of anything else that you could really, truly consecrate yourself other than to God, God Almighty. And he is calling his people, you need to set yourself apart. You need to prepare yourself. And in consecration, the act of that typically meant washing, cleaning, abstaining from sexual relationships. He wanted his people to be set apart and ready to see his wonders. So why? Why all this fuss? Why are they to step back? Why are they to see this from a distance? And why are they supposed to consecrate themselves? Well, it's crucial to recognize that this is God's work. Unless the people have a proper insight, they have the the correct expectancy and preparation, they may see his work but completely miss it completely miss the significance, the importance, the majesty, the miraculous. Several years ago when we first moved to, Vicks, or moved to uh, Mississippi, I'd never heard of, I really wasn't familiar with at all Vicksburg, right? Um, I didn't realize that there was a major Civil War battle fought there. Uh, and so after, shortly after we moved here, we took a trip over to Vicksburg and we went through uh, the, the bat- yeah, battle, that's it, the battle, the battlefield, the, the scene, and everything played out. And, and, but what really put that out in front of me for me to really be able to see and to really to appreciate was, I don't know if any of y'all, I'm sure all of you, most of you have gone through that, but you go into this little room and they show you a little video. Any of y'all watch that video to where you go in there and then they, they, They show you all the images, they show you pictures, they give you the background, and then they just take you through the whole entire battle, and they walk you through step by step. You know, they infiltrated this region, and we set up here, and they had uh, artillery set up here, and the bombing, and the bombing, and the people were hiding, and, and just, they paint the perfect picture. And so when we actually went out through the, the uh, monument, through the, through the fields, I saw it all playing out in my head. Why? Because I had a different perspective of rather than just somebody saying, hey, this is a battlefield, and then I'm just walking out there aimlessly, not even knowing what's going on, what happened, what was the significance of this spot, what was going on. And, but yet, by watching that, I had become educated. I was prepared when I went out there, when we, we went driving around, and we saw, it's like, oh, yeah, this is that spot that they were talking about. Oh, yeah, this is where this happened. Oh, yeah, this is the, 
where that really significant, important event happened. So how do we prepare ourselves for worship? Are we, are we coming here with an expectancy? Are we coming before God with, with a heart that's just yearning to see him, to, to see his work, and to submit ourselves completely and totally to his will? Are we not impressed with God's majesty, his grandeur? And could it all be that we've not prepared ourselves? Not prepared ourselves to see him as much. You know, it's all a matter of attitude. I remember uh, in the very beginning of my walk with Christ, I, took a, I, I, I heard a, a man who was a mentor to me, he talked about how he, he always made sure that he prepared himself for Sunday. That he came to church to be with the body, and then the rest of the week he was preparing himself to then come back with the body, the congregation. Why? Because he was stepping foot into the sanctuary, and he was joining with the congregation as the body to lift up their voices and praise and honor and glorify God. And so thinking and hearing him do this and, and actually seeing that evident in his life, I tried it out, you know. It's not, it's not rocket science to realize that when I came and I, and I prepared myself, I had a completely different worship experience. And it's the days that I don't do that that I feel like I'm walking in here, sitting down, and then um, I'm going through the routine, the motions, and then I'm getting back up and going back out, getting ready for the work week. You know, what's for lunch? I'm ready for my nap. And yet whenever I pray, expecting God and expecting to see Him work and expecting to, to be a part of worship, actively worshiping the God, the one true God, the only God who's worthy of our worship, I was absolutely surprised at the difference that it made. Expecting to receive something, I came here expecting to give something. So I just pray that, you know, that, that as they had to do, that we consecrate ourselves Sunday. Saturday, Monday, all, every day of the week so that we don't fail to see his marvelous workings in our lives or that we don't fail to even expect it. The next part that I want to point out is, is the power. You know, just God's power. And when you read up to this point, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start back up where I, I left off in verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord 
of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, I don't miss this, it says, now the Jordan was overflow, overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very, very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. Let me stop there. It's like the, the author is leading up to this point, and he says that, you know, the, 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 the Levites are carrying the ark, and they're going to walk up to the brink of the water, and everybody's going to come out, and they're going to follow them, and you're supposed to follow a, a half a mile away so that you can see that God is going before you, and, <coughs> excuse me, then he stops, and he puts in this, uh, this statement in parentheses, and he says, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. It's like he leads up, and you can just see it like the action's building up, and everything is happening, and then he gets to this point, and then the, and then the narrator comes in, and is like, oh, and by the way, this is whenever the army was the strongest. This is whenever the, these 12 guys are going out before this army of 400, and, and this is whenever they were all sick with pneumonia. You know, and this, the significance of this is, is to let you know that this just wasn't a, a trickling stream, that this was a raging river at the peak of its, of its flow. On average, it's 90 to 100 feet abroad. It's 3 to 12 feet deep. But the, what gives it its power is the fact that it has this very significant elevation drop. It drops 40 feet every mile. So as you can imagine, this water is just raging down the riverbed. And why is that important? Why was it so significant for the author to put that in there? It's so that you can see that God did it when anybody else would think it was impossible. This just wasn't, it wasn't only the waters that they had to worry about. You got to think that this was during the time of the snow melt. It was uh, during the time whenever there was so much debris coming down the river that they say that it was actually almost as bad as having to travel through a jungle because of all the brush into the debris that had come from upstream. And yet, this is when God chose to bring his people through. Not when it was easy, not whenever it was convenient, not whenever things were going to be simple, but he did it when it was impossible. See, God delights to show his might in the face of our total helplessness. You know, it is whenever we are completely and totally helpless that God truly shows us how powerful he truly is. 
And I can't help but just imagine and, and just remember that it's those times that he does that, and it's simply so we can see that we contribute nothing to our deliverance. I mean, the Israelites are just following behind the Ark of the Covenant. The Israelites are, are just walking. They're contributing nothing. You contribute nothing to your salvation. <laughs> I don't know what deserves an amen, but that should deserve an amen in my book. But the fact is, is that we do nothing. God has stopped the raging waters. God has crossed his people over into the land. God has delivered this land to his people. He will continue to be with them day in, day out. God has saved you from your total and complete helplessness against sin. And it is God who put himself on the cross and died for your sin. It shows us that if we, we make it, if we can endure it, if we're not washed away, it will only be because of his grace and his power. Psalms 121 verse 2 says, Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I need that. I'll be honest with you. I need that reminder constantly. Because, you know, we get so wrapped up in, in us feeling like we're the ones doing everything. It's me. I'm the one that made this happen. I'm wore out because I'm having to do all of this. I feel like I'm about to have a, a mental nervous breakdown because I can't cope. My anxiety is about to go out of the roof. And yet, here it is, God showing that, what are you so worried about? I've already done everything for you. <laughs> I've already delivered you. I've already saved you. And it's, and it's in these moments that he reminds us, like, your strength doesn't come from you. You can't do it. There's nothing you can do that's going to get you through it. I'm the one that's doing it. It's through my power, it's through my grace that you're able to accomplish what I've set before you. And I forget that all the time. I constantly am having to be reminded that I'm not doing anything in my own strength. The last part that I want to bring out is in uh, chapter 4. Starting about halfway through verse 5. Joshua has told and reminded the people what God's commandment was to them. And he says, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. So this is, we went through God's presence, our perception and attitude, his power, and now it's about remembrance. And God has 
told his people that for every tribe, a man is supposed to take a stone from the riverbed and bring it over to the other side of the Jordan. And there you're to raise an altar for remembrance. Why? And he says, he says, so that your children, when they ask you about it, what, what, the, what is this about? You can tell them of what I've done. And I, I, I can just imagine, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40, 100 years later, you have a, a father and a son, a, a mother and their child walking by, and the child looks over and sees this heap of rocks, and they, they ask, like, hey, what are those rocks there for? And the parent getting to, to share with them, oh, yeah, this is the sight that the God of Almighty, the God of heaven and earth, stopped the river from flowing. And it came up in a heap. And all of our people were able to walk across on dry land. And that is how we came over into this land. And then this land became ours. Why? Because he gave it to us. He delivered it to us. Every victory, every battle worn, worn, every boundary established was because of him. It's not really any different for us today. I mean, think about whenever we actively participate in communion. You know, we, we get to have the chance to where our children are sitting beside us. And as we take the... the the blood of Christ and the body of Christ, and we're, we're participating in communion. Our kids look over at us and say, hey, what is that for? Why do you get that? Why don't I get a snack? Why do you get juice? I want some juice. Why does everybody else get juice? I want a cracker. Why can't I have that? What is this about? I don't know about your kids, but that would last about 20 minutes for my kids. And that's our chance. That's our time to, to whisper back to them, Oh, this is the body of Christ, the body that was beaten, the body that was put onto a cross, the body that was buried, the same Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who was then resurrected. And this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the promise that has been made to us, and we're participating in this to remember that the wrath of God was poured out on his own son instead of us. When we deserve it so much, he showed us mercy. All the blessings we don't deserve, he freely gives them. Not because we've done anything, not because we contribute a single hair on our head to anything that's been accomplished for us. He loves us anyways. That's our chance for remembrance. That is our time when we, just as the Israelites in ancient times, walk by that heap of rocks to remind, and, and their children ask questions. That is our time where we actively participate in remembering the great and miraculous and mighty works of God. If you haven't read through Joshua, I encourage you to continue reading through this book. It is full of knowledge and information, wisdom. Joshua was a God's man. He was, he was the one that, you know, never failed. He never stopped questioning God. 
And even in the end, whenever all the people, after God had given over everything, the only failure was the fact that the people failed to take over all the land as God had commanded them to and drive out all the people that God had commanded them to drive out. And in the end, Joshua called everyone together and he said, I don't know what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so I ask you today, as we, as we leave here today, Again, don't, don't just leave here not expecting God to work, not, not expecting God to do anything in your life, not expecting God to get you through, to help you to endure, but knowing that God is a God of his word and faithfulness and love and mercy, and praying that God will, will just help you to prepare your heart, consecrate yourselves during the week, prepare yourselves to come into the presence of the Lord and worship him for the God that he is. Let me pray. Father, we just want to thank you for this day. God, we just want to thank you for your word. God, we pray that uh, as we go that we will just live out each day actively pursuing you being prepared to step back and watch you work from a distance so that we can see all of your splendor, all of your majesty, all your power. God, that we won't be afraid that, as you told, told the, the, the priest to, to walk into that raging river and put their feet in it. And as I'm sure that they were fearful at a degree, that they would look foolish, that you would not stop the waters. God, they stepped out in faith, and they were obedient. God, I pray that we will do the same. When it's not comfortable, when it's not convenient, God, we too will step out in faith into the raging waters, and that we will trust in you to do a mighty work. God, I pray that we will never forget that we will always actively remember everything that you've accomplished. That we will always actively participate in in your worship and praise of what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.